makes me feel like I'm a part of something bigger. My favorite business show. Hands down, the best B2B sales and marketing podcast. The ultimate resource for salespeople. George makes me want to conquer local. An authentic entertainer. Conquer Local with Vendasta. Here's George Leaf. This is the Conquer Local podcast, a show about billion-dollar sales leaders, marketers leading local economic growth, and entrepreneurs who have created their dream organizations. They want to share their secrets, giving you the distilled version of their extraordinary feats. Our hope is with the tangible takeaways from each episode, you can rewire, rework, and reimagine your business. I'm George Leith, and coming up a two-part series, we're very proud to feature Chris Croft. Chris came from an operations background with an engineering degree from Cambridge, qualifying as a chartered engineer and working as a senior manager in manufacturing for 10 years. He gained an MBA and worked as a university lecturer for four years before starting his own training company 21 years ago called Shift Training. He's one of the most viewed authors on Udemy and on LinkedIn Learning with 36 courses, 24,000 views a day, and 18 million students total. His negotiation skills course on Udemy is the most popular negotiating course in the world. Once again, this week on the Conquer Local podcast, Chris Croft is coming up next. Welcome back to our guest, Chris Croft. And we are here this week to get those top 10 tips around negotiation. Remember last episode, we talked about time management. Got a, I got a freebie there on the time management because I need help with that. But we all do, don't we? It's something, it's just an ongoing yeah. battle on managing. But then we heard about how to manage the pipeline and how to test your go-to-market. And we, we aren't even at the top 10 tips yet. We were just talking about some tactics that we could use to understand if we had the price for our product or service in the right place. So Chris, thank you for that. That was great. I loved it. Now, I can't wait to hear about these top 10 tips on negotiations. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me back for part two. And uh, let's dive straight in. So these would be my top 10 negotiating tips for salespeople. Most of them apply to buyers as well. So if you're a buyer, this is fine. But I think salespeople get a bit neglected when we're talking about negotiating. Most negotiating stuff's aimed at buyers. And these are simple things that people don't do. Okay. So number one is to set your walkaway point and always stick to it, okay? So if somebody said to me, we want you to do a, a talk to an audience in Vegas or something, how much would you charge? There's 500 people, one hour. I would think of a number. Now, I don't know what that number is actually uh, offhand, but I would think of a number, and that number is based on how busy I am, how much do I dislike long aeroplane trips from England all the way over to Vegas. It's a long way. But then also, what fun it is to talk to a group of people at the far end, you know? So this number is a personal number for me. Now, for some people, it would be their worst nightmare to have to talk to a big audience. Other people would, you know, love to go to Vegas. I've been already. But so um, that number is a number that I decide, okay? Similarly, if I'm going to go uh, and um, 
buy a car, I decide how much I'm prepared to pay for that car and I have a walkaway point. So if I'm a buyer, I have a walkaway point. But if I'm a seller, I decide how much I've got to be paid for a particular job. Now, often sellers, they look at their costs to set a walkaway point, but it's not really to do with costs. It's to do with, do you want that bit of business? Because there's always that opportunity cost if you could be doing it for somebody else instead. Mm-hmm. So, so however you work it out, it's up to you. But the big thing is you need to know that point and you need to stick to it and, and walk away. So suppose I wanted a, a certain amount, I don't know, let, let's say, let's say $5,000. Let's just have a dream and make up a number. I don't know. If they said to me, oh, it's a real shame, Chris, we've only got 4,990. Would I say, oh, all right, I'll do it. Or would I walk away over $10? And the answer is, I would walk away over $10. I really would. And I would sit here in cold, dark, rainy England, and I would earn nothing. And I would, part of me would be rather sad that I didn't get nearly $5,000. But part of me would be really pleased that I walked away. Because that's where my power comes from, you know, my strength. Because next time I negotiate with that person, they're thinking, oh, God, he walked away last time. He means it. But next time I negotiate with anybody, they don't know me. They don't know I walked away last time. But I know I walked away. And that makes me feel stronger. And that comes across, you know. So they're trying to judge, does he really mean this? And, and I'm thinking, yeah, I do. And they kind of know that. So Whereas Chris, if I go, if I go, oh, all right, I'll do it for four nine. Next time it's four eight, four seven, four. Seven, I'm going to slide down into oblivion, aren't I? So, well, and I wanted to ask about this because I think what you're saying here, you know, it's it's only a hundred dollars, like it's it's not yeah. a lot of money, but it's more around your mindset in going yes. to market and saying, this is what I need to get paid. This is my worth. I know I have people paying me this amount. This is this is mm. where I have to sit. But it's that mindset because it's a slippery slope, isn't it? The minute you yeah. start cutting, yeah. it'll just keep Absolutely. happening. And and that that figure of five thousand or one thousand or twenty thousand, I've thought about that really carefully, and that's what it's worth to me. So if I agree to sell whatever it is I'm selling for less, I'm making a loss. You know, why should I sell something that's costing me five for 4.9? I'm losing money on the deal. So logic would say don't do it. But, but you're right. It's not really about logic. And it's not about pride. It's about strength of mind. It's about saying, no, I won't do it below that. And next time I'm stronger because I know I'm prepared to walk away because I have in the past. So you need to walk away every now and then to recharge your strength batteries and and it's good to walk away. And salespeople hate walking away, <laughs> but but you must because that's where your power comes from. That's point. That's tip number one. And okay, right there, that's an amazing tip because it's we so important. we find sales reps that make this error, and it's sometimes it's month end or quarter end or year end, and we've got to get the deal, and they start going against their values. Like this, this really yeah. is a value statement. Not even I'm not even talking about the dollar value. It's like I'm going to deliver at this level, and now mm. I've cut the deal. Now it's out there in the market. People know that I've done it. Word travels fast. Next well, thing you know, no one well. will pay your rate. Yeah. Even if no one's going to know, you're going to know you did it. But you're right. People are going to know. So walk away point, set it, never go beyond it. That's rule number one of all. I picked it first because it's the most important, I think. But I hope you like my other nine. So (laughs) some of them will be quicker than that one. Um, The second one is buyers have weaknesses. 
So, you know, salespeople often feel weak. They think, I really need to get this deal. I haven't sold anything recently. The, you know, my product or service is not perfect. I kind of know that. I really want to get this particular customer. So they have all these weaknesses. Their boss is on their back, you know. But the key to feeling strong is partly a walkaway point, but it's also to realize that the buyer has weaknesses as well. That buyer, if you've ever been a buyer, you'll know that the buyer is thinking, I'm in a hurry to get this. I really want to buy it from these people. They're the only ones who are any good. You know, I mentioned earlier on getting somebody to repair my roof. You know, I'm really weak. I've got water coming in through the top of my house. It's going to rain next week. You know, I'll pay anything. So, so I, I'm weak. Now, the seller, the roof guy, he may be thinking, well, Chris has probably got several quotes. You know, I, I really want the work. My kids need Christmas presents. But, but he mustn't think that. He must focus on the fact that I have weaknesses. So the key is to think about the weaknesses that the buyer has. And you don't even need to know for sure what they are. But just say, I bet they want me. I bet they're short of time. I bet they've got loads of money. You know, the roofer should be looking at me thinking, I bet this guy's loaded. I bet this guy just talks in Vegas for five grand. You know, he can afford, you know, and, and to be honest, I can afford whatever he charges me. I've got to. So think about the buyer's weaknesses and that will help you to forget your own. That's my second tip. And, does, and I think does really the, um, the investigation of the buyer's weaknesses. I love the way you're framing this, by the way. I have not heard this type of framing before around power and weakness. But oh, does, good. does the buyer's weakness also, you know, allow you to put some urgency against the deal? Like I, I find when I'm coaching salespeople or working with sales teams, they're like, how do mm. I put urgency against this? Then they could buy it six months from now and the conditions would be the same. So identifying that pain point or that weakness allows you to put some urgency against it because we know if yeah. you don't fix your roof, in a month, it rains yeah. a lot where you live. I, you know, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be generalize, but I'm pretty no, sure it, does. In England, it, it does rains rain a lot. lot. Like the damage yeah. is going to be astronomical. And by being able to put some sort of uh, economic value against the damage that's going to occur, you might be mm. able to charge more to get it done quicker. Yes. I've actually thought about poking a hole in the roof and putting an umbrella through and then opening it <laughs> and, and then hanging bricks from the handle of the umbrella. Yeah, that's how desperate I am. But, uh, but yeah, absolutely. And, and just so, so find out about the buyer's weaknesses and it could be time. It may not be time. It may be they've got a big budget, but, but absolutely. And, and you do that in the sales process by just asking them, why do you want this? And what other options have you looked at? And they go, well, we haven't got any other options really. And you think, oh, okay, right. And then you sort of say, who, you know, so why do you need this? And they go, oh, cause it's got a, giving us a terrible problem. And you can build the needs, can't you, by asking them about all that. And, and so you, you can find out what their weaknesses are. Amazingly, buyers will tell you. They'll say, I need this really quickly. I can't find anybody else. Can you help me? And you're just thinking, oh, okay. You know. <laughs> so it's amazing how they'll tell you their weaknesses. Uh, I, I'm always surprised by that. Um, as will salespeople, by the way. And you don't want to reveal, don't say, you know, we, we can supply it as soon as you want and we've got loads in stock and, you know, I really need to sell this to you before Christmas. Don't say that, you know. So this, this whole hiding of weaknesses thing is really interesting. So buyers have weaknesses. Uh, think about theirs rather than your own is, is tip number two. Tip number three is a very simple thing I've only discovered recently, which is say no the first time. Mm. So when I quote people a price, quite often they just go, okay, great. 
And then I think, oh, no, I should have asked for more. Mental note to self, put price up. But sometimes they say, oh, that's a bit more than we normally spend for training. Can you reduce it at all? And the answer is no. Just say, <laughs> I, I wish I could, but, but, you know, but I can't because you know, I'm turning away work at this price. If I do it for, for less, I, I'd be mad. Plus, there's actually more work than you realize in the preparing and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So I kind of, I just blame it on the market. I say, well, you know, I've got lots of people wanting my time, for, and that is the rate. And and they then go, okay, well, never mind. I just thought I'd ask. <laughs> and this is very English, isn't it? But I guess it's probably the same in, in the States and Canada. Worth a try. So the first thing I do is, I the first time, I just say, no, I can't. I really can't. And they go, okay, then. Now, one time in 20, they go, well, that's a problem then because we just can't afford it. Mm -hmm. And then I negotiate. Then I go, well, okay, well, what about if we did a longer session for a higher price or, or kept that price the same but a shorter session or what if you booked me twice or whatever? So, and I'll come to all that in a minute. Mm -hmm. So my first line of defense is just to say, no, I can't. And then I only negotiate if they persist and say, well, in that case, it's a problem. And it's amazing how often, I mean, I would say 90% of people don't even try. Another 9% just say, oh, okay, then I just thought I'd ask. And only 1% actually really squeeze me. Well, and that okay? data that you just gave us, I'm sure that, you know, you've got a lot of research underneath that, but I want our audience to just think for a moment. On the last five deals that you did, did you do this and say no when they asked for a discount? Do, you know, are you following these components? I think there's some experienced sellers that might do some of them, but what happens, mm. I, I find, is experienced sellers forget this stuff. They forget yeah. the basics of negotiation, understanding that, that the whole world is a bloody negotiation. That's why I was so excited to have you on the show and to get yeah. into this, because this is fundamental things that we need to be reminded of. If we've been doing it a long time, we forget it. But if you're new, if you're listening to this show and you're thinking of getting into the business of sales or even in any entrepreneur uh, motion, these are table stake tactics that Chris is taking you through. It's totally. so fascinating. Yeah. And I, I mean, I know all this stuff inside out. I could talk about it all day, but I still don't do it every time. You know, I, I still, I would say every negotiation I do, one of these 10 things I don't do. And afterwards I think, oh, I can't believe I did that. Well, oh, oh, because it takes quite a lot of presence of mind to remember to do all of this every time, you know? So you don't want any more complicated stuff than this. This is plenty to be getting on with. <laughs> but if you do all of this, you, you'll be 99% of the way to a perfect deal. You know, you, you really will. So you don't need anything more complicated than this. Um, anyway, so my fourth one, I, I've, I call this instead of yes or no. And... What I mean by that, instead of saying yes or instead of saying no, you've got a third choice, which is to negotiate. You know, always remember you've got negotiating as an option. So if you get asked to, to do something you don't really want to do or to sell something that's difficult, maybe they want a really small quantity delivered really quickly, you know, in special packaging or whatever, you could reluctantly say, yes, all right, we'll do that and probably make a loss. Or you could say, no, it's too hard. We don't want to do that. But you've got a third option, which is to say, we'll do it, but it's expensive. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I was asked to do a 
conference in Siberia in January or something, I could just say, yeah, all right, I'll do it. You know, I'd quite like to see what Siberia is like. And then when I get there, I'm thinking, why on earth did I agree to this? It's freezing cold. Or I could say, no, I'm not doing Siberia. But surely the best option is to say, make it worth my while. You know, yeah, I'll do it, but it'll cost you, you know, I don't know, 20 grand, 50 grand or something, you know, because they just might say yes. Um, and if they say no, then it's them that are saying no, not me. And, you know, and you're I've, not I've, dropping I've your value. To do it. No. Like that, that's the other exactly. thing. The first thing a rep will do is go to just drop the value. Yeah. Right. And what you're saying is try the other option. Ask for mm. more. Absolutely. So you've always got negotiating as an option rather than just to sell something that's kind of, you know, is going to be a pain. And if it turns out to be a loss making job, most salespeople don't really care. They got the commission for the turnover or whatever. And poor old operations have to deliver it. <laughs> but, and, and so I think just always have that as an option, that third option. If you feel reluctant to do something, it should switch on your your negotiating light, as it were. Chris, one question that I have as we're walking through this, I'm I'm thinking a few steps ahead, but I, I think that it's important to call this out. Are we just talking about new contracts, brand new customers that we haven't had interaction with before? Or do these tactics work on, a, on an existing relationship? So I, I, I booked say, you a couple of years ago. You came to Canada in the cold. I, I paid the rate. I already know yeah. it's going to be more because <laughs> it's as cold here as it is in Siberia. And, and now I phone you again. Would you use the same tactics? Totally. Yes, totally. Okay. I would use it again. Um, things can have changed. I've, I've changed a lot in the last two years, the stuff I'm doing. Okay. Um, I'm not the world's expert on negotiating, but I have got, I think, the best selling negotiating course in the world on udemy.com. Um, it's, it's just been really, really successful. I think it's because it's really simple, but that's brought in a load of money. So now I'm thinking, well, I don't need to go to Siberia. I, <laughs> Canada's nice though, but I, you know, I don't need to go there now. Uh, two years ago, I would have done it, but now I won't. So it's nobody's fault, but I'm just more expensive now, you know, because I've got this money coming in from this online course of mine. So, you know, who knows what's different? So, and it might well be that you agreed to do stuff for a customer who's turned out to be a total pain. Mm. And, and so now, if they want repeats, it's going to cost more. And you don't tell them they're a pain, but you just say, you could say, you know, we, we lost money on the last bit of the job because it turned out to be difficult. And if you want that job again, we're going to have to charge more. Or, or the, scope, you, the scope changed, you know, you were yeah, doing the, there's always the analysis. But that, yeah. I think that it's really important for our audience to understand that when, when we're walking through these tactics, and they're, they're fascinating, this is not just net new logo acquisition where we're signing a new deal. It can be used at any time in any negotiation because conditions Absolutely. change. I mean, you want to get it right on the first one, really, because putting the price up a lot on repeat work is is more difficult. Um, but you can gradually increase it each time you do a deal. Or you can just put the price up quite a lot. Recently, I put the price up quite a lot on a bunch of customers who, for various reasons, I don't really like. And half of them said, no, we're not paying that. And they just have left. And that's great because I don't like them. And the other half said, all right, we'll pay it. And so now I do like them. Um, so, you know, that was fine. You know, so you can do it even with existing customers. And I probably am making more than I was doing when I had all of them. So I've lost a few, but they were ones that were probably not making, they were probably loss making customers or break even customers anyway. 
So I've lost nothing if they go. So yeah, absolutely. This is for repeat customers as well. I'm glad you said that. That's great. Good point. Now, point number five is a really easy, important negotiating principle. Try not to open first. And this is for buyers and sellers. And, and even if you're just talking to colleagues about time scales, when can IT fix my computer? When can the guy fix my roof? You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I'm not saying I have to have it by tomorrow. I'm asking him. Because when you ask somebody else to open first, it might be good news. So let's go back to that Vegas conference, right? Suppose I've decided I w- I'll do it for two grand, right? And, and they say, how much do you charge? I could say, well, I want two grand. I could say... I want five, even though I'm prepared to do it for two. But they might, if I could get them to open first, they might say, we normally pay 10. Is 10 okay? And I'm like, yeah. (laughs) So I don't know what they normally pay. And actually, it varies hugely. Some conferences pay, you know, one grand and some conferences pay 20. I mean, you just don't know. Mm -hmm. So if I can get them to open first, that's really important. Now, it's always a bit difficult because really, it's more normal for the salesperson to open first with a price. But there are quite a few situations where you can get the customer to open first. So if somebody said to me, what, was it, what would it cost for a training day? I would say it depends. I love the words, it depends. Because it depends how tailored you want it, how much preparation, how many people. But if you give me a rough idea of what you're looking for and, and maybe what you can afford, I'll see what I can do for that. And you might say, well, we can only afford 10 grand. And then I'll go, well, I think I could do something for that. So, you know, and I've discovered your budget and I'll then get all of your budget. So um, some tactics to, to get that information um, where, where you're trying to, trying to get them to open first. Would, would uh, one of the tactics might be in, in the analogy that we're using, who else has done this for you? in the past, because you might know yes. what their, what their scale is that they're, and, and I, I find yeah, that to a be great one. effective when you're talking to a customer for the first time, who else have you been working with and, as a well, part, but do that way in the beginning, back to your point, when, when we started talking about negotiations is the whole thing. It's not just one stage. Yeah. Before Finding, they realize it's correct. a negotiation. Yeah. 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 I mean, I had a customer a while back who, who, um, rang me up and said, oh my God, Chris, I've got a crisis. We've got a course next week. Somebody's canceled. Can you help us? I'm already thinking, oh, I can charge extra for this. Mm -hmm. Um, And I said to them, who did you have doing it? And they told me, and I knew it was somebody really expensive. And I said, well, okay, so what were they charging you? And the guy told me, and it was, it was like five times as much as I was going to charge him. And I said, well, that guy I, has I just, not listened to this podcast then. No, because no, he I, I would have got all your listening. tactics. <laughs> yeah, and and I and I just said to him, uh, yeah, well, I, I could do it for that. And he was like, oh, brilliant, could you? And if I'd opened first, I would have. I knew he was desperate for it. I would have put a bit of a premium on, but I wouldn't have charged him anything like as much as as he as he told me. So get them to open first. It could be good news. I don't know whether you've ever bought a kitchen or a carpet, but when you go into places for things for your house. They always say roughly how much per meter you plan to spend or how much you plan to spend for your kitchen. What sort of budget have you got? And why should you tell them? You're the buyer. They're selling. They're supposed to open first. So I always say it depends. It depends what you can tempt me with. You know, I'm looking for solid oak doors and, you know, I want to have a marble surface or whatever. Uh, how much is that? And then when they come out with the price, then, of course, it's game on. And I go, oh, that's too much. I can't afford that. You'll have to reduce it. And off we go. 
but I don't come out with a price first. They're trying to get me to open first. So, you know, if you're the seller, try to get them to open first. Uh, the other way to get it, you could, you could sometimes use the project management has this triangle of cost, quality, and time. Mm-hmm. So if they ask for cost, you could say, well, it depends how quickly you want it, and it depends the quality you want. So give me an idea of those. And then when they're telling you about that, you can say, um, it, when they say, well, what, can, what quality can we have? You can then say, well, it depends what, uh, how much you want to pay, really. You know, do you have a budget in mind for this? And so by moving around the triangle a bit, you can sometimes get them to tell you what their budget is. We'll make sure we put so, a picture of that triangle in the show notes so that you yeah, can, cost you quality can and time. utilize that. That's great. Yeah. Um, number, yeah. number six. Yeah. Okay. So number six is another easy one, really, which is don't open with a round number. Because if you open with round numbers, it's just like a made up. It's an invitation to negotiate. I, I told this to a builder once who was on one of my training courses. And he went, oh, oh. And I, was, <laughs> I said, are you, are you all right? And he went, oh, my God. He said, for years, I've been quoting people 20 grand. And they always, they always haggled me down to 19 grand for, you know, say, for a typical job. And he said, that's most of my profit gone. So he said, from now on, I'm going to, I'm going to quote them 21,700. And, 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 and then I'm going to reluctantly come down to 21 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and what's actually happened, he emailed me later to say, nobody even negotiates with him now. So he quotes them 21.7 and they go, okay, because they think that's a real number he's really worked out. Whereas when he used to just say 20, it's like an invitation to play a game, isn't it? So don't open with round numbers. Your price will sound more credible. People are less likely to attack it. And if they do attack it, they'd expect you to come down a smaller amount. So from 21.7, he should come down to 21.5. You know, let me, let me ask this then I'm, I'm doing some math and I'm really bad at it, but I'm thinking if you're negotiating and all of your deals are coming in at $700 less than the number that you're quoting, you should put it up $1,400 because you know, you're always giving up 700 bucks and now you're actually getting a rate increase. Yeah, absolutely. And they, so this guy, he's actually charging 21 seven instead of 19 now. (laughs) So he said to me, he's doubled his profit because of me. Did he send me a bottle of wine? No. Am I bitter? A little bit. But, you know, no, I'm just really pleased to have I think you can him. get more money, though, the next time you train him because yeah, of the value yeah. that you're bringing. Oh, that's, I know. that's a great advice, Chris. So not it. a round number. Very easy to say. Quite hard to do. By the way, I like sevens and fours. I d- nines sound made up. You know, 2199, it's just made up, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And ones aren't worth bothering with. I like fours and sevens. They're kind of a spiky number that looks really properly calculated. So anyway, that's that's tip it. number number six, not a round number. Don't open first, and when you do open, not a round number. Uh, let's zoom through. So number seven is when you do open, obviously it's not going to be a round number, but it also needs to be beyond your best hope, beyond <laughs> the best. So, so going back to my Vegas example, right, if I'm thinking – the most I'm ever going to get is 10 grand for a conference. Let's say, I'm just making up numbers here. I, 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 I try to get them to open first because, you know, it might be, they might offer me 10. But if they say, no, no, you've got to give us a price. I've got to ask for 10, haven't I? Beyond my best. I've got to ask for 11,740 or something. Get some sevens and fours in there. <laughs> because if I say five, 
I'm never going to get my best hope of 10. They're never going to say, go on, no, no, let, you're a good guy. We want to pay you 10. They're not going to say that. <laughs> so every salesperson ever needs to ask for slightly beyond the most they might get. If my roofer's thinking Chris is probably going to happily pay 300, he might pay 500. He's got to quote me 670. And then when I go, oh, I can't afford that, he can come down to 300 if he has to. But of course, half the time, the guy's going to go, yeah, all right, I'll pay 500. Right. You know, I've got a BMW on my drive. I mean, it's a bit obvious I'm going to pay whatever he asks, isn't it? I'm doomed before right. I start. You the know? water's running into the house. The urgency yeah, is there. I'm desperate, you know? Christmas is coming. I've got to do it. So... So the point is that if he thinks he might get 700, he's got to, he's got to open on 800. I love it. So that's what you do. That's how you calculate your opening offer beyond the most you might get. And that means that quite a lot of people are going to be upset by that. Statistically, if you ask for the most you might get, quite a lot of people are going to go, well, we can't afford that. Then you could say, well, okay, maybe there's a way we can do a deal in some way. And you can, you know, if you buy twice as much or if you pay up front or whatever, and you could do a deal. It's worth it for the 10% or the 20% who just say yes to that high number. That's right. You know, if I have to come down to five grand most of the time, if just every now and then somebody agrees to 10 grand, thank goodness I asked for it, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, well, Plus, you never I, get it the, if you don't ask. Yeah, if you don't ask, you don't get. But also in their mind, I'm a 10 grand guy and they're getting me for five. They think it's great. Mm -hmm. The built-in you know? value. So, yes. Yeah. So- your opening offer's got to be scarily, uncomfortably high, beyond your best hope. Right, we've only got three more. Number eight is the flinch. The flinch <laughs> is when you hear their negotiation. You go, what? What? Ooh, ooh. You know, and you, you suck it into your teeth or whatever. And uh, some people, Italian people, have a very flamboyant flinch. They, they throw their pen on the table and they stand up and they walk around the room. British people, they just lean back a little bit and fold their arms, you know, or they put the top back on their biro. But <laughs> however you want to, however you want to do it, you must do it. Chris, I'll tell you because how we do it in Canada. How do you do it? We say we're sorry, and then we negotiate. And that's it. Oh, okay. So not a lot of body language. Well, no, but we yeah. say we're sorry. We're really nice. We apologize, and then we start yeah. negotiating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But the thing with the flinch, you have to look like you've physically been slapped in the face. You have to look and sound really unhappy. What? You have to like jerk back, you know? And even if you're just on the phone, you need to still do that because they'll hear you do it, you know? Mm. Because if you don't, they will think you're happy. And similarly, not only must you do it, but you must look and see if they do it. So when you quote them a price... If they don't react, if they just go, oh, dear, that's a little bit expensive, you know they're happy, really, and you're not <laughs> going to move now. You're not moving. <clears throat> if they jerk back physically, what? Oh, my God, that's far more than we expected. It could just be a game. You mm -hmm. know, maybe you won't have to move, but maybe you will. Don't worry, it's just a game. It's nothing personal. You know, they haven't thrown you out. So look for the flinch. Look them in the eye when you open and say, the price is this and see if they flinch or not. Don't worry if they do, it's fine. You should be more worried if they don't. You know, because if they don't flinch, that means that you haven't really asked for enough. Correct. So you're definitely not going to move, okay? So that's tip number eight. Do the flinch, but also watch for the flinch.
But you must do it. You know, even if you're really happy, even if they say they'll they say they'll pay me 10 grand, I've got to do the flitch. Go, well, only only 10? Oh, I normally charge 20. I might settle for 15. You know, so you've always got to do the flinch if you're selling and buying. Right. We've got two more. Uh, number nine is quite imp- important, actually. Um, it's how do you justify the fact that you've moved from your opening offer to something else? So suppose I want 10 grand and then go, all right, I'll do it for five. You know, or suppose my roof guy says it's 500 pounds and he goes, all right, I'll do it for 300. I'm thinking, well, hang on, what was that 500 that you quoted me just then? Were you just trying it on? And of course, the truth is he was, and I would advise him to. But nevertheless, I don't want to be on the receiving end of a guy who's just trying it on. So he's got to have an honest way to move from 500 to 300. How do you do that? And the answer is trading. Mm -hmm. So he's got to say, look, if you can pay me cash up front and if you give me plenty of nice cups of tea and maybe a bacon sandwich, I'll do it for 300. And I'm thinking, wow, he, 200 quid just for some tea and a bacon sandwich. That's, he likes his bacon, but I'm not going to question it. I'm happy now. He's got a reason, you know? Um, or if he says, if you can make sure that everything's cleared out the side, that you have your ladder ready, mm. then I'll do it cheaper. So he's got to have some trade. So your listeners will probably be saying um, things like, if you can order a whole year's worth up front and then we just deliver, you know, like regular gig. Right. Or or if you can give us good, you know, make sure we get good payment terms or if if you buy other services from us, then we can give you a good price on this. It could be that. Or if you can recommend us on your website or give us a video testimonial saying that we were brilliant, then we could give you a better price. You just get something back for it because no. firstly, it's nice to have something back. But also, you then don't look dishonest. You're bringing up something that is a really important point, and and I I love what you said uh, earlier, where, where you know there's ten things, and even you don't do all ten every time because you know it's hard. Yeah. Like it's it's rigorous. It's but hard. But th- this one is really important, as you as you said, because if you just give up the two hundred dollars, now your first rate was a fugazi. The, the client's like, oh, what mm. the, this whole thing is falling apart. So part of building the trust with the prospect or the customer is there's yeah. got to be a give or a get as you're moving through the negotiation. So I'm going to yeah. give this up, but I need this back. And that now balances the scale is what I think you're saying. Is that correct? Yeah, totally. Absolutely. I mean, I was asked a price to do a five days of training in Bahrain and I just, I don't know what, how much, they're quite rich in Bahrain, I think, aren't they? I don't know. So I quoted a price and the guy said, we can't quite afford that. Um, we can afford a bit less than that though, just a little bit less. And I said, well, if, if you pay me that for four days, then that would work. If we'd make it four days instead of five, then I'll do it for that. And he went, okay, great. So, you know, sometimes you can reduce what you've got, uh, what you're offering, it meant that my initial price never seemed dishonest. You know, he was happy because he still, yeah. I said, we can fit it into four days, I think, you know. So there's always a way to do a deal that doesn't feel dishonest. You know, Chris, um, you you were an honest individual as well. So I think what, what you're saying, and, and I want to punctuate this because this is what I'm hearing, is the the prospect or the customer is always looking for dishonesty. Like we're a little skeptical in any transaction that we go into. So if you just mm. lay down and take the price discount without a give or a get on, on the other side, they then start to question the relationship. 
Yeah, typical salesperson trying to rip me off. Yeah. Yeah, and I think particularly salespeople, every people have I think everyone's suspicious of salespeople and they think they're dishonest. And, and I, I think that's really unfair because I think a good salesperson's job is to help the customer work out what's best for the customer and get and do a deal that's good for the customer. Still has to be good for the salesperson. We want to make 10% profit. It's not asking much, is it? You know, yeah. but, but to diagnose and help the customer find the right thing is, is what we're doing. And we want repeat work. That's the easy work to get. So absolutely this whole negotiating process we still want to stay friends with the customer um but we can do that by trading and, and trading is is where is where win-win comes from because if in the end if you say i can do a better price if you book a whole year's worth they, they it's great for them because they've got the problem solved for a whole year and and it's great for you everybody wins so so trading is really important and what i would say is prepare your tradables beforehand mm -hmm. So when you go in there, you've already got a list of things you want. You want payment terms, order more products, order a year's worth, et cetera, et cetera. If you've got like 10 tradables, you could just play them like a little pack of cards. Every time you have to concede a little bit, you could say, well, if you gave me this, then I could do that. Because you don't want to have to be creating ideas for tradables on the hoof. That's really stressful and difficult. But if you've got your list ready, you use it every time. So the work you do for your listing of tradables, you do once. You've got that for your whole life then. And you use the same tradables every time you go and see a customer. It's so a really good practice to get into. And I, I love the way that you're laying that out. Well, yeah. you know, this has been unbelievable. I know we got one more. So let's get number short. 10 out on the table. Yeah, because we're up to our half an hour, aren't we? My <laughs> last one. We've done quite well on the timing, though, haven't not, we, really? Not bad at all. No. Yeah, not bad. Time management. But... Uh, the final one is the nibble. Just to look out for the nibble at the end. If you're a salesperson, you, you can do the nibble and you can say to the customer, oh, by the way, it costs a bit extra for uh, delivery is on top, you know, and you could squeeze a bit more money out. But I don't really approve of that. I feel mm -hmm. the nibble's a little bit dishonest. The reason I've put it on my list is to say, don't let the nibble be done to you. So oh, when it. you're selling, it's sometimes customers will say, oh, by the way, you don't mind delivering it on a Sunday, do you? And oh, by the way, we can have special packaging, can't we? And certification. And oh, you don't mind doing a smaller quantity. And you go, yeah, no problem, no problem. Because you're so excited to have got the deal. And you're giving away all your profit. All your work is lost in this last little moment. So you've got to be strong and you've got to say, no, if, if you want special packaging we can do that but that costs a little bit more correct but that's not included because if we do that then all of our margin is gone it's not worth us doing that job for you so you have to say no to the nibble at the end you won't lose the deal over the nibble don't worry about it you know if they go well in that case the whole deal's off then okay you probably don't want to do the deal with them anyway. You might have saved yourself a disaster. And and yeah. that's the other thing that sales, new sales, I find new sales reps do this all the time. Number one, they wear their heart in their sleeve. You can negotiate with them. You just tell by the look on their face. But yeah. this one right here, this will bite you every time. I love it. And yeah. I love that you call it the nibble because I call it yeah. the bite. Yeah. Well, I, I, the thing about the nibble is often it seems quite small. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, it's only a few percent of the job, but that can be half your profit. And I don't, I don't want to work with nibblers. I've got customers who do this and they keep saying, can you just cut the price a bit? Can we just have a bit of extra? And can you include this? And, and those people are a pain and I don't want to work with them. So when I say to them, no, 
if you want that, it's going to cost you extra. They either pay extra, that's fine. And by the way, that stops them nibbling because they stop asking when they have to pay. But or they say, well, in that case, it's no good and, and goodbye, you know. So look out for the nibble is my final tip of my 10. Well, Chris, it's been an incredible two episodes. And uh, in our first episode, we learned about time management. You did a great job of setting the table around how important these top 10 tips are. And then today we went through the top 10 tips. I want to give you one opportunity to close on this because I know that, you know, you, you are way more of a scientist than I'll ever dream of being. In your analysis of utilizing these 10 tips, what sort of upside are organizations able to achieve from it? Like what, what happens? Are we talking about, you know, a 5% increase, a 10 Like what are the metrics that occur when you deploy these? And, and we all know it's tough to do all 10 all the time. Yeah, but that's you, a big question. If you follow think... the methodology, what sort of opportunity could there be? Yeah, I think you can save a bit on your buying, maybe only 2 or 3%. I think you can gain a lot more on your selling. You can gain plus 5 or plus 10% on your selling. Selling's much softer than buying. You know, it's really hard to get a bit more money when you're buying. But selling, salespeople could easily put 10% on their prices. Customers would not even notice. You know, so... I absolutely think you could you could enlarge that margin by 10%. I'd, I'd be gutted if you didn't increase it by 10%. And that will double your profit. And that's a hell of a lot easier than, than delivering twice as much, employing twice as many people. You know, maybe the market's not even big enough for you to deliver twice as much. So, so I would say negotiating, you should be able to increase your margin by 10%, and that will double your profit. I also think you can sell more because you can say to them, if you buy a year's worth or if you buy up front or whatever, um, then we can do that price. And, yeah, we're, and quite often you, you can get more volume as well at a better price. Well, that was what I was going to say. We're, we're not talking just about an increase in margin or an increase in overall top line revenue. We're also talking about you may be able to move more of whatever widget, whether it be roofing or speeches or software or whatever it is, you mm. may be able to move more by building them into the deals to, to structure it better. Chris has been absolutely incredible. I know you've got curry coming in a few minutes. Curry the family is arriving. Over. My favorite food. Yeah. And I yeah. I see a Norwegian flag over your shoulder. I know that the team can't see it because we're on audio here, but I, I yeah. have Norwegian roots as well. So I think have that you? might be part of how we get along so well, but it's yeah, been my mother, incredible. My mother was 100% Norwegian. She passed away this year, but she was 100% Norwegian. And you didn't, you know it. I mean, ooh, you don't want to argue with a Norwegian. I've still got a 50% Viking. I'm proud of that. But, uh, That's yeah, my gra yeah. my grandmother. My paternal grandmother was a hundred percent Norwegian as well. So. That's why we're uh, we're feisty. Epic, yeah. Because the, we the Norwegians say it like it is, you know, and and that sometimes people are upset by that. But there's a sort of honesty there, isn't there? And absolutely, I, I, I want to keep in touch with that that side of things. Yeah. And I like to think that that's where I get the conqueror spirit from. So it's great meeting somebody that also has a conqueror spirit. And Chris, thank you very much. We'll let you yeah. get back to your curry with your family. And thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, George. It's been a total pleasure. Thanks. Well, we can't thank Chris Croft enough for sharing his stories last week and this week. Two great episodes. Here's our team's top 10 takeaways 
from this episode. You knew I was going to go there. Number one, set your walkaway point. Set your deal floor and always stick to it. Buyers have weaknesses. Figure out what they are and always relate to how you are solving their pain points. Make sure you say no the first time when there's a request. Again, it gives you the power in the negotiation. Instead of yes or no, negotiate. Try not to be the first to open. Don't use round numbers. They sound like they're made up. Use an actual number. He likes fours and sevens. Pitch a price that's beyond your best hope. This is good, better, best. So always shoot for best. And then you can always defer down to good or better and a little different scope on the project as you start to figure out what the budget might be from the prospect. The flinch. Pay attention. Did you flinch or did they flinch? It tells you a lot about where you are in the negotiation. How are you going to justify that you moved? What was the value of moving from the original number to where you are today? This is the gives and gets. If they need something, you're going to give them something, but then you get something in return. It's all about that trading that he speaks about, and it justifies the number so that the client doesn't go, well, that was a BS number from the beginning. It gives some weight to the number, and it shows why you're able to move the price point. And then number 10, beware of the nibble. So you've got the deal, it's done, it's agreed to, it's signed, and then they want something else. And the answer is always, Yes, with a fee, or no, that's not part of the scope. Some great takeaways. I could talk to Chris for hours. He's brilliant. That's why we had two episodes, because we had some great takeaways from our first episode, and that's the top 10 list with a little bit of editorial comments mixed in. If you found value in this episode, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This feedback helps us grow and better adapt to what you want to hear in future episodes. Be sure to subscribe to the Finney Award-winning Conquer Local podcast as we continue to welcome extraordinary sales leaders, marketers, and entrepreneurs. My name is George Leith. I'll see you when I see you. You've been listening to the Conquer Local podcast presented by Vendasta. Guest discovery by Jacob Soley. Marketing by Rory Lawford and Nicole Lozon. Produced by Brett Clarenbach. Executive producers Brendan King, George Leith, and Colleen McGrath. Recorded at Sound Lounge by T-Bone.